Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. On this Best Deal episode, we will explore the human side of real estate investing with a seasoned pro about the legendary best deal of their life. A deal isn't just the investment, it is also the person executing it. Stay with us and learn what it takes to be the best investor possible. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal-Smith, owner of Royal Legal Solutions, your home for everything real estate, asset protection, anywhere in the U.S. I'm here with Joel Block. Joel's a longtime friend of mine. I've known the guy for years. He is a phenomenal storyteller, venture capitalist, overall insightful business person. And I'm really excited to have you on the show today, Joel. Hey, Scott, thanks very much. Awesome. So Joel, in hearing your story today, I think we're doing a Best Deals episode. What do you think the listeners need to know about you to be able to understand, to get some context in the story you're going to share today? Well, I'll give you a quick little bio. I'm a CPA by my training. I started at Pricewaterhouse as a youngster. and That didn't really work out that great. I didn't really like being an accountant, but I did like reading the partnerships and some of the things. The last account I was assigned to Pricewaterhouse was a giant syndicator, which is a company that pools money and puts investors into pools. So I hated doing the tax work and, and I was assigned to do 500 tax returns with an army of other guys. But what I did enjoy was reading the partnership agreements. And I really just thought, hey, this is the business I want to be in. And so I quit the firm and went into real estate syndication, met a guy. And over the next couple of years, we did our first eight deals together. And the real estate market sort of started to change as it became 1990, because I was, it's about when it was. And then I fell into a venture capital transaction because once you learn how to raise capital, you can raise capital for anything. So even though I was raising capital initially for real estate, uh, once you do it, you know, once you learn how to tell stories and once you learn how to put the package together, you can do it for anything. So I fell into a venture capital transaction, uh, which I raised about $10 million for. And went out, uh, went to Wall Street, started selling this package of financial services. It was an online media deal where we are giving uh, personalized investment information to investors. So personalized stock quotes by fax. And, and that was pretty fascinating. I sold that company to a Fortune 500 in uh, 1995. And after that, started investing in other companies. So I've probably been involved in about 40 different transactions in my career. And then in about 2010, when the market crashed in real estate, went back into real estate and started buying. So there you go. That's it. That's a heck of a background there, Joel. Sounds like you've really done quite a bit. You, um, such an active guy. I think it's really great to be able to pull from all those years of experience with, with what you have. In terms of your best deal that you got into, how did you originally get into that deal? What did that look like? Well, it's such a fun question to think about. Now, I don't know that it was my best deal. Well, it actually turned out to be a very profitable deal. It, it turned out to be a great deal, especially when we were young. But this happened early in my career. And, and I think that some of the best stories happen early in your career because everything is extraordinary then. Now, you know, I take everything in stride. I've been through so many different things, so many exciting things. I mean, listen, my financial facts transaction, uh, selling the company to a big company and being on Wall Street, that was very exciting. But let's stay on real estate. My most exciting real estate deal, we had a little syndication firm. We had syndicated a deal after I quit Pricewaterhouse. And then we had started a little property management firm. And we got a lead from somebody that needed a property managed. So we kind of became insiders in this transaction. It was a shopping center that was really, it was just really an old cruddy shopping center in a suburb of Los Angeles. And it really needed to be turned around and had very, very low rents. And so we managed, we were managing the property for a while. And after a while, the owner, who was an elderly woman, said to us, hey, would you know anybody that would like to buy my property? So we said, well, gee, maybe we'd like to buy the property. And we start thinking about it. 
And we agreed that we would buy the property. And, and remember, we were 25, 26 years old. And this was in 1987. It was a long time ago. And we agreed to buy this property for $2.1 million. And that meant that we had to go get some uh, mortgage financing from a bank. We had to go get uh, investor capital because we had nothing. We literally, we had nothing. I mean, all we had was a little teeny line of credit from the bank so that we could make little deposits, which was uh, about $25,000 total between the two of us guys. So we had nothing. So we signed a contract. We give the lady the whole $25,000 line of credit that we had. And then we go out to the investors. And the investors start looking at this. And they said, uh, and we didn't really have a lot of investors anyway. I mean, we just, we had done one other deal before that was about 500,000. So this was many times bigger than anything we ever did. And we go to the investors, uh, which we should have done, of course, before we tied the property up and put up all our money. I was going to say, you guys sound crazy. (laughs) <laughs> like, I had to like just start some wild, wild west of slinging money around and be like, ah. No. Well, we were just kids. We didn't really know. It just sounded like it was a really cool deal and we could make money on it. We thought we could do great. How do you have the gall to do something like that, especially when you're young and you're pulling credit? I'll tell you what it is. Here's the thing about young people. Number one, you're too stupid to know any better. And in a certain way, that's your advantage. When you are highly educated, listen, you're educated as an attorney. I'm a CPA. When you know, when you have years of experience, you walk around being afraid. When you're 70 years old, you're afraid of everything. You know, you're afraid you're going to get hurt. You're afraid this is going to happen. When you're 10 or 15, you're invincible. And that's how we felt. We felt invincible, like nothing was going to happen. We just, we were great and everything was going to be easy and what could go possibly go wrong and everything was going to be fine. And so we go to the investors and the investors just start laughing. Going, this is the stupidest deal ever. You'll never come out whole on this. It's too expensive. There's no margin in this deal. And even if you get the rents up, it's not going to be enough. And so we really found ourselves in a pickle that we really didn't have any support from the people that we thought were going to support us. So we called the lady and we said, hey, listen, we rethought about it. And uh, <laughs> you figured out of the deal, did you? You tried to? We tried to. It, and yeah. we said, it, it's just not going to work out. Sorry, uh, can we have our money back? And this elderly lady who was a very sweet and friendly, nice lady turned out to be a very savvy business person. And she says, no, I'm not giving you your money back. We made a deal. We got a contract. You gave me your money. You know, and if you can't close on the deal, then that's it. I'm keeping your 25000 Dang, grandma uh, took you to school, huh? She took us to school. Yeah. (laughs) We were getting schooled by an old lady. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And so we go back to our office. Our heads are in our hands. I mean, we're sulking around. We didn't know what to do. 25 grand was all the money in the world that we had. It was a lot. And so we came up with an idea. We had to come up with a reason to get out of this deal. So in 1987, the hot topic was asbestos. And asbestos is still a topic, but it's not like an unbearable thing like it was then. And so we call an asbestos company to come out and do an inspection of the property to see if there was any contamination on the property. And sure enough, it comes back that there was a trace amount. And at that time, because it was a brand new problem, they didn't really have standards. Like I just looked at an asbestos report two weeks ago on a property and it said anything under 1% doesn't matter. So this was trace, which probably meant it was in the like the 1% or less category, but they didn't have like a chart or set of standards because it was just kind of coming to be. And so it said trace. And so we called the lady and we said, look, we have an emergency situation. We need to have an emergency meeting with your attorney. Everybody who's involved in this transaction needs to be present at this meeting because we have a very important finding that we need to share with you. It was very dramatic. We made it. And so anyway, so we... we Is that on purpose? Because you're like, we have such weak facts, so we might as well, we got to play up the theater. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, you know, we had to put on the best show we could put on. All you have to do is go to one circus from Ringling Brothers when you're a kid and you know a little bit about show business. Nobody puts on a better show than those guys. And so we wanted to put on the best show we could put on 
And we were determined we were going to bring a three-ring circus to this deal because it was a really big problem. So you can call me like, we got to meet with your attorney. This is an emergency. We need to do this as soon as possible. And now you're here, you're going to the meeting. Do you guys set up the Right. So we go to the 51st or something floor of some giant office building in downtown Los Angeles. I mean, remember, we're kids. We're 25, 26 years old. We're kids. And so we go to this attorney's office. The woman's sitting there. We're all, we all go in the guy's office. And the attorney said, so young men, what are we here to talk about? And we said, listen, as much as we want to buy this building real, real bad, we can't. What do you mean you can't? We can't because it's got a big problem and we can't do it. Well, what do you mean you can't do it? Well, the problem is it's all filled up with asbestos. The building is contaminated. It's filled up. It's a tremendous problem. We can't move forward on this deal because all the people in the building, we don't want to be responsible for them and they're all going to be sick and it's going to be a terrible situation. This attorney almost fell out of his chair. And what we did not know, and once in a while this happens where you get lucky, what we did not know is that he had just gotten his butt kicked in a court case where he lost an asbestos deal. Wow, you're so lucky. Oh my, and so, well, listen, but this is a real estate attorney. He deals with this kind of stuff. I mean, probably wasn't unfamiliar that somebody in his firm, and it was a large firm, that he wouldn't know something about this. Yeah. So, you know, they're going like, well, how serious is it? It is real serious. The place is filled up to capacity with asbestos. We don't even want to collect the rent from this place. We're afraid to go there, you know? The attorney says, okay, step out of my office. I need to talk to my client for a while. So I am certain what the attorney said is, I just got my butt kicked on a case like this. Whatever you have to do, you unload this property as fast as you can. This is a contaminated property. And the last thing you need is contamination in your life. So yeah. they call us back in and they said, what's it going to cost to remediate this property? And then we said, well, it's, it's estimated to be at least 400000 So the attorney says, look, we'll give you the whole 400000 How soon can you close? So we go back to the investors and said, look, we just got 400 grand. And so now the building is 1.7. What do you think? And then everybody wanted to come in because now it was a fair deal and worked out great. And actually, we made a lot of money on that deal. We ended up making quite a bit. So it was a home run. And the way we did it was a home run. And looking back on it, it was just a totally fun situation. I mean, listen, that's negotiating. It's being courageous. And listen, there's no pulling the wool over the eyes of anybody. I mean, we are dramatic and everything, but we gave him the paperwork. We showed him the original docs that said the word trace on it. But this attorney had just got the bejesus scared out of him by this court case that he lost. And so he tells the client, hey, listen, whatever you got to do, you better get out of this situation. So we created a situation. The lady carried paper. I mean, it was an amazing deal. We put together because we could only get a small first mortgage. She carried the rest of the paper, reduced the price and everything worked out. So it was a really fun time in real estate. It was really one of my very earliest experiences and it really motivated me to keep going. So it was something fun. Is that probably, I mean, it sounds like something that you're probably really good at naturally. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm a professional negotiator and that's what I do. I wouldn't say that I'm always animated as I was that particular situation. But, you know, listen, I guess it depends. I guess it's part of what makes me a good customer facing person is I look at the situation and I deal with it in a way that it needs to be dealt with. So that's the situation. So is that kind of like a a typical negotiation tactic you'll go to is to take that kind of like position and put a lot of energy behind maybe like a an aggressive style position, right? There's no way it's built to the max, you know, like that. And then to have people then kind of meet you what they think is in the middle. But Well, listen, I wouldn't tell you that it's a normal tactic, but we had a situation where we needed to get out of this thing. We needed to really address it. And they could have said, listen, we're keeping the building and we're going to sell it to someone else. But the problem in real estate is that once you tell somebody something, they now are obligated to disclose it to the next people. So whether they deal with us or they deal with somebody down the line from us, 
they're stuck with this problem once they know about it, right? You're an attorney, right? I mean, isn't that how it works? Yeah, well, they would have to disclose it because it'd be part of the solar disclosures there. But I'm right. surprised that they like, it sounds like really like the attorney on the other side really dropped the ball by not knowing what trace meant. Well, you know? here's the thing. You're saying that with 30 years of historical experience. Yeah. I mean, I just looked at this report two weeks ago and it said anything under 1% means this. And if it's between 1% and 5%, it means this. And so there's a whole table. That table didn't exist 30 years ago. Uh, okay. so that's what I'm saying. So the attorney, he had just gotten his butt kicked in a court case right. and lost a lot of money for his client. And he sees the same situation. Juries don't understand the difference between trace and a little and some. And they just know that if you breathe in some fibers, that's it. You're in trouble. You got a big problem. And so it wasn't like it was loose and exposed and, and everything, but it was a real situation. And it turns out that uh, almost all buildings that are more than 30 years old have these kinds of problems. So it turned out to be a very overblown thing. Listen, and there's been a lot of things in our economy and in our world that are highly overblown. I mean, you remember Y2K? Billions and billions and billions of dollars got spent because the computer guys scared everybody into thinking that the world was going to shut down because the computers weren't going to work anymore. And I think they did it with some malintent, truthfully. But that's what happened. And in our case, we just, hey, listen, there's a lot of asbestos here and we need to deal with this problem. We don't know what to do about it. Do you know what to do about it? And we we're just asking to get out of the contract. Then they came back and said, hey, we don't want you out of the contract. We want to sell the property to you. We're going to do whatever it takes to make it happen. So we didn't really know what was going to happen at that time. We just wanted to get out of the deal and get our $25,000 back. But it turned out that uh, something pretty good happened for us and it all worked out pretty well. Is that kind of like go big or go home kind of strategy? Where you're like, I'm going to go really big in here and maybe I can get out of it. But if they challenge it at all, I don't really have a lot to fall back on. Or what if they kind of push back on any of those things? What do you do? I would definitely, well, then you're playing poker is what happens. But I would definitely say it was definitely go big or go home. And if they would have said, you know what, uh, we don't really care about this problem, then we would have had to call their bluff or see what happened. But that's luckily not what happened. Yeah, no, it doesn't sound like what happened. I mean, it's just your experience inside of negotiating these types of deals. It's really fascinating. I hope that, that you have an outlet to share more of your negotiation style and, and what's been working for you in the real practical sense. Some of the strategies that I use, and I wouldn't call that a strategy. I mean, that's just is kind of what happened. But I do have several strategies that I use, and they're outlined in my new book, which is called Stop Hustling Gigs and Start Building a Business, which is really designed for entrepreneurial people, self-employed people, service providers to really, instead of doing gig, 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 to kind of get into a recurring revenue situation to kind of enhance their businesses so they can take better care of their families and live a better life and accumulate wealth and do all the things that they want to do. And most of those, it's kind of a collection of a hundred or more tips that I gathered from all my years in the venture capital business doing deals with companies. That's awesome. I just ordered it here while we're on the air together, as you'd mentioned it earlier. Um, we're looking through it. I can't wait to read it. I think that's going to be great. I learned a lot here from our episode here today with you on, on just being able to say like the excitement of getting into a deal and almost the wrong deal, how you can turn that around with just trying some unconventional tactics if you're just willing to give it a shot. I think most people probably stall at the willingness to give it a shot by saying, hey, let's go in there. Let's set up a situation where we might have a shot at being able to turn this thing around and really just kind of lay it all out on the line. That takes some brass. Yeah, it does. It sure does, man. So that's how it is. So if people want to, if they want to raise money, if they want to deal with other people's money, they have to really protect that money like it's their own. And so you have to really do whatever you got to do to protect the money and protect the deal and 
sometimes it's an awkward situation and that's just how it goes. But that's what we do. So, and if people want to raise money and they're doing real estate deals and they're doing pretty good at them, but they're just finding that the hard money, the private money, those kind of sources are just taking too big of a share, then they really need to start raising money the way Wall Street raises money. And that's the way that we raise money, which is uh, using the syndication and the private placement mechanism. And if guys are starting to be good at it, if men and women who are successfully turn over deals, uh, have the ability to make it happen, then I would tell them that they should really look into getting better money. Yeah, I think so, Joel. And I know you help a lot of people, you're doing that. You know, people want to contact you about that or anything else. What's the best way for them to uh, get a hold of you? Well, they can go to the website, which is dealmakingsymposium.com. And twice a year, we do the symposium. We've done it now, or this will be our 21st event coming up in October, 2018. And it is a remarkable event. You've been uh, you see what kind of quality of people we bring. I mean, people have to qualify to get into this program because not everybody can raise money. I need to really kind of make sure that you're at the place where I think you can raise some money because it doesn't do you or me any good to have people showing up that are not going to be successful. If you want to just throw your money away, go to somebody else's program. I don't need it. So what I need are people who are committed to making serious things happen and being serious. And I can tell who's going to be successful uh, just by a few minutes phone call. So you can either connect with me, you can either text to me, text to the number 72,000, my name, Joel, or the word asset, A-S-S-E-T, and, and you'll be on our list and you'll get some info and stuff. And, uh, and then you can connect with me. So Yeah, absolutely. I just to piggyback off of that, if anybody's interested, I, I did go to that symposium before, just like Joel mentioned, a lot of people that were there were already raising millions of dollars and sharing inside just sharing the insides of how actually their fundraising funnels worked and how their whole business model essentially worked. The idea with networking with those people was very much of an idea of saying that actually the pie is way bigger than we can all imagine. Let's try to see how we can all collaborate together to be able to see how we can all take more of it. So it was a really, really neat experience going with that, which can be pretty different than some other It's not like anything most people have ever been to. It's not a carnival. There's nothing for sale. This is hardcore learning, networking with the highest quality people that you can imagine. So if you're a pretty good level, you flip 5, 10, 20 houses, you're doing it, you've been successful making that happen, then you're in the place where you're probably ready to raise better money. Awesome, Joel. Well, I wanted to say thank you for coming on the show today, Joel. And I really appreciate having you here. And uh, this is, of course, the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Royal Smith with Royal Legal Solutions, the home for real estate asset protection. And Sure. Well, listen, thank you very much. And hey, which is what we call profit from the inside. Having spent a lot of years in the money business, there's people who take the inside track and there are people who take uh, some other route. And we help people to take the inside track. So profit from the inside. I hope that people tune in. Yeah, I hope so. I uh, I think you're also, you mentioned before that you're also writing a book about the same title, aren't you? Yeah, there's a new book coming out. I, there's no date set on it yet, but that will happen. Fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to reading your first book here, The Stop Hustling Gigs and Start Building a Business. And uh, I'll be looking forward to getting that uh, personal invite over to, to get the pre-watch in for that podcast and for your new book. So Awesome. Well, listen, thank you very much. And pleasure to talk to you. And, and I'll look forward to being in touch. Thanks, Joe. You have a great day, brother. That's all for this Best Deal episode, and I'm your host, Scott Royal-Smith, with the Real Estate Nerds Podcast. When investments go good, they can go great. Your legendary Best Deal could be your next one, so keep at it. Thank you for joining us, and if you enjoyed the show, leave a review to help clue in those sleeping masses for what they need to know and what we all need reminders of. Do your good deed for the day, and I'll see you again soon.